verse 24. Now as thus made his defense Festus with a loud voice, Paul, you're beside yourself. Your much learning has driven you mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but I speak words of truth and reason. For the king before whom I now speak freely knows these things, for I am convinced that none of these things escaped his attention since this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God, not only you, but all who hear me today might become both, almost and all together as I am, except for these chains. Let's pray. Come on, lift your voice and ask God to touch your heart. Lord, we're here on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, celebrating the fact that you have risen from the grave. And I'm mindful, Lord, that today we don't need a, we don't need a lecture. We don't need to just fulfill some religious obligation or duty. We are here, oh God, and I believe that you're going to touch the hearts of men and women and children. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come, that you would move in great power. Oh God, let every man and every woman, every child be brought low and you be glorified. You be magnified on this Easter Sunday. Bless and touch your people forever. Change them, I ask, in the matchless name that's above every other name. The name of Jesus. Everybody say amen. You may be seated. We do have some notes for you. Has anyone ever said to you, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe? Have you ever heard that? It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe. As long as you believe, it's all good. Recently witnessing to somebody in a funeral home. We witness everywhere we go. The man said, well, you know, as long as you believe, as long as you have faith. Now, if you don't have notes, go ahead and slip your hand up. Our ushers will get that to you. We do have notes for each and every one today. And in talking with this man, I said, well, I don't think you really believe that. He said, no, I do. I said, well, imagine there's somebody who, who just believes he should pour boiling water on you. And, and that would be good. That's what he believes. Would that be okay with you? He said, well, well no. <laughs> you see, that, that logic, as long as, you, as long as you believe, doesn't matter as long as you believe. It's not true. Last year, my son had an Easter bunny. You know, not a, not a real one of my favorite kind, a chocolate one. I think that probably the closest thing to manna is a big, strong cup of French roast Starbucks with a Easter bunny. It's probably, I don't know about you, a good cup of French roast and some chocolates. About, that's about it for me. My son had made it last this whole time, but I, he, it, seemed like he, it seemed like he didn't want it. And uh, so, you know, I... I took a healthy piece of it. It was many weeks after Easter, but he has this sense of the fact that it was very wrong. You see, we, we have we have idea we believe in right or wrong. We we don't we think in terms of, of right and wrong and morality. You know dogs don't. Easter bunnies don't. It's not a, it's not a matter of what we think is right or what we believe. It's a matter of what God says is right and what God, what God says we should believe. That's what matters. 
Now, Paul was a man, go ahead and fill your notes in, who believed passionately, passionate believer. Uh, but he believed incorrectly. He was wrong. He believed passionately. He was wrong. Now, what, what did Paul believe? Let's think about what he believed. He believed in God. He believed in one God. He were Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. He passionately believed that. He believed in Moses. He believed in, he believed in the prophets. He believed in the Messiah. He believed in the power of prayer. He believed in the power of God. He believed in all the miracles throughout the Old Testament. He believed. He, he believed much of what we believed, except he was incorrect at one thing. He believed in fasting. He believed in prayer. He believed in tithing. He believed in giving. He believed in self-sacrifice. He believed in serving the Lord. He believed in heaven. He believed in hell. But he was wrong. Paul was right in both things, but the most important thing he missed, which is knowing Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus changed everything for Paul. And in fact caused him to have a revolution in his life. It is my hope today that the words that you hear would burn like fire, burn like coals in your heart, that it would change you, that you would receive literally revelation, truth from the Word of God, that when you leave this place, it will cause a revolution. Some of you need a revolution. I'm not talking about a violent overthrow of a government. I'm talking about a violent overthrow of belief systems and living for God, obeying His Word, being on fire for Jesus and changing the earth. Can somebody say amen in here? Amen. So Paul was right in most things, but in the most important thing he, he, he had missed. The, revolu- the, the resurrection of Jesus changed everything for Paul. Jesus was the suffering Messiah of Isaiah 53.12. Now I'm going to reference lots of scriptures for all you note takers. You can go and look them up later. He was the suffering Messiah of Isaiah 53.12 and the first to rise from the dead, becoming a source of salvation and blessing. He fulfilled many, many, many scriptures. Some say over 300 Old Testament scriptures were fulfilled in his birth, death, and resurrection. Isaiah Pardon me, Hosea chapter 6, verse 1. Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us, He will heal us, He's stricken us, He will bind us up. After two days, He will revive us. On the third day, He will raise us up. It's a picture of resurrection. Isaiah 25, 8. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away the tears of all the faces. Psalm 16, verse 10. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Others were resurrected in in the scriptures, but all of them died. And they were as signs or signals. You remember Lazarus. Lazarus was raised from the dead. The widow of Nain's son was raised from the dead. The 12-year-old girl was raised from the dead. And Paul preached so long one time. He preached so long one time. Eutychus was the kid's name. Fell from the, I believe, the second or the third story. Fell to the ground, was taken up dead. He went down threw himself over the top of Eutychus. Don't ever name your child Eutychus. <laughs> threw his body over the top of Eutychus, made some prophetic declarations and prayed. Eutychus got up off the ground. They went back upstairs and had church till the morning light. He was raised from the dead. But all of them died. Even the translated ones were, were, were signs. Now, they didn't die, but they were, they were translated. 1 Corinthians 15:17 says this. And if Christ is not raised, your faith is futile. 
In other words, if Jesus didn't rise from the, from the grave, then what we're doing right now is pure stupid. Here's where I'm going to go with this. I'm going to prove the resurrection of Jesus. And then I'm going to apply what that means for the Apostle Paul out of Acts 26, what it meant for him and then what it means for us today. It needs to bring a commissioning to become a revolutionary. If everything that, 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 that Jesus did is true, it ought to change you and me. I think every Easter, every Easter I proved the resurrection. For as long as I've been a pastor, I've done that. It was modeled for me that way. And I thought, well, you know, this Easter I'm going to do it a little bit different. And then I thought, nah. And as I've meditated on this, and I'm going to prove, I'm going to go over some classic theories that are, I mean, unbelievable. You have to have more faith to believe the theories that he didn't than to believe that he did. And we're going to go over that. You know what the greatest, the greatest proof is? You. Me. You and I. We are the greatest proof, the fact that He risen from... Come on, I knew some of you. There must have been a God. <laughs> there must be a God out there that raised from the dead. Come on, somebody. How many of you... Raise your hand if God has transformed your life. Amazing. Amazing. Why don't you give Him a hand clap? Amen? Amen. 1 Corinthians fifteen seventeen, And if Christ is not raised, your, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those who have died... In Christ or lost. That means if Christ is not raised from the dead, then all of your family that have been that have died, you won't see them later if Christ didn't raise from the dead. But he did. How many of you are thankful for that? See, Christianity is not just a set of rules. You don't need a rule book. Paul had a rule book. You don't need a set of rules to live right, people. Now they, he gives us that, the Ten Commandments. The Word of God, yes, there's, there's a set of rules. And God can't just forgive you. I know this is going to be disappointing for some, but God can't forgive you just because you're a nice guy. And truth be told, you're really not that nice. Come on, somebody. God can't forgive you because you just say, oh, oh, forgive me. He said, what are you talking about? Let me see if I can explain it. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sinned. And right from that time, there was what's preached right then. is called the Proto-Evangelum. The first time the gospel is preached is right in Genesis, right at, the, right at the fall of mankind. You can go and look at that, that God would bring forth a Savior. He would, he would strike his heel. He would crush your head as talking about the Messiah. And God sets up this sacrificial system pointed to the fact that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. You see, so you can't just be forgiven just because you just want to be. The reason you and I can be forgiven is because Jesus died on a cross and rose again from the grave. John the Baptist pointed to Jesus saying, Behold the Lamb of God, tying into the Old Testament how they would take a lamb, spotless, and kill the lamb. And the blood of the lamb would, would cause people's sins to be covered. Referring also back to Egypt where 
God delivered them from the death of the firstborn and said, Take a lamb and put it on the doorposts and the lentils of your house. All who are in your house, the death angel will pass over. John the Baptist, millennium later, standing there, says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And he pointed to Jesus, came, and he baptized as was fitting for him. And there was a voice from heaven that said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit came and alighted to him like a dove. The Holy Spirit came. You see, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. No longer the blood of bulls and goats. That doesn't cleanse you anymore. It was appropriate in the Old Testament, but we're not in the Old Testament anymore. It was all types and shadows pointing to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Messiah of Isaiah 53 would come out of time and space and put on robes of flesh and walk the earth. And if you believed in your heart that Christ was raised from the dead and you confessed with your mouth, the Bible says that you'll be saved. Your sins will... I'm going to preach myself happy in a second. That you'll be saved. Your sins will be forgiven. Come on, somebody. So it's not that you can just be forgiven because you want to. No, God is a God of justice. How many of you ever... God, a speeding ticket. Don't raise your hand. How would it be if you went before a judge and you're guilty? I mean, you're just stone cold, guilty, busted. You know you were speeding. They caught you on radar. You come before the judge and there's a judge. He's a family member of yours. And he says, good to see you, Jethro. He says, hey, Bubba. Well, it's the problem here. Well, they said I was speeding. Well, no, you weren't. There you go. That's called corrupt. Hello, that's called corruption. God is not a corrupt God, so He can't just forgive you because you said, Hey, Bubba. No, he, he, would, he would... Then what He did to Satan would be wrong, you see. He judged Satan threw him out of threw him out of heaven. Your sin has got to be judged. And it was. If you, if you believe that Jesus died in your place and rose again from the grave, your sin is wiped out because of His blood. And by believing, it means to receive. I know people that just live hardcore for the devil but say, I believe in God. Yeah. In the book of James, it says the demons believe and they tremble. Most of America believes in God, but there's no trembling. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 21, 4, Since death came through one man, that's talking of Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. All right, let's look at Paul's testimony here that we read in Acts 26. It's told three times. It's told in Acts chapter 9, Acts 21, Acts 22, and then here in Acts 26. He lived out basically the resurrection. I mean, every day for Paul was Easter. The context here of the passage that we read, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem for the Pentecost festival. And on the final leg of his journey, he was in the temple doing a purification rite for seven days and was attacked by some Jews from Ephesus. They took Paul out of Jerusalem, imprisoned him. Paul appeals to Caesar as a Roman citizen. He could appeal to the, like it's like going to the Supreme Court, if you would. And standing before King Agrippa, King Agrippa in Caesarea testified because Festus said to write a testimony for Caesar. So he's testifying before he goes to Rome. And that's the testimony that we read there in Acts 26. 
Paul sees the resurrection simply as an objective fact. And you see it right there in verse 13 and 14. He says, At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun. It shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when I had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice. And then he says, his companions didn't hear it. His companions, his companions heard the voice, but they didn't understand the message, I should say. And they saw light, but not Jesus. But they all fell to the ground. In other words, he's not making it up. He had witnesses that were there. Saw the light. They didn't understand the message, but they heard, they heard the voice. They saw the light. They all fell to the ground. This is not just one guy's experience where he's like, Oh, I was there, and this angel came and gave me some golden glasses, and I put those on, and then there were these tablets, and I... Prove it. Well, that's just what happened. No, Paul had somebody with him. There were people there. And in a court of law, you could call them forth as witnesses. It was, he saw as an objective fact. Look at two. There were eyewitnesses. In, in 1 Corinthians 15, 500 people saw Jesus rise into the clouds. 500. Now this morning in the congregation, about 250. About 250 people here, approximately. Now, if 250 people saw me rise right through the roof and go into the clouds... Not saying that I'm Jesus, but he does live on the inside of me. But if I did rise through the roof and disappear into the heavens, and we all ran outside and you just saw me, Pastor Daniel, going into the heavens. Right? Now everybody saw it. Everybody's got their iPhones out. Everybody's got their phones. Check it out. Look at the oh, oh. It would be pretty hard to tell 250 people that that didn't happen. Why? Because you'd have your iPhone. Now, they didn't have that, but they had their eyeballs. They were witnesses. They saw 500 people saw Jesus rise into the clouds. It'd be pretty hard to tell 250 people here that that didn't happen if that did happen, right? There was eyewitnesses. It wasn't, it wasn't a hallucination. He wasn't having a flashback from the 60s or anything. It wasn't a hallucination. The story is true. The story is true. Say it. The story is the story is true. The gospels are brutally honest. I mean brutally honest. A woman is the first evangelist. Can you imagine that? A woman in ministry. God help us right now. See some of the men go, that's right. That'd be totally weird. That's strange. Now look. Women couldn't even vote, people. They couldn't vote. Now, if I'm going to pick, if I'm going to pick my first witness, let's say, let's say I'm I'm the one that's making up the story about Jesus rising from the grave. I'm not going to pick a woman. Now, I love my wife. Women are a gift from God. Amen. They can be. All, God's pouring out His Spirit on all flesh. So that's men, women, children. But the point is, in that culture, in that day, in that hour, women were never, couldn't even vote. They couldn't testify. They could not. They would not. They were not allowed. So if you're going to pick your very first witness, somebody who to show up and say, He's risen. Not going to pick a woman. Why? It's not believable. 
But do you know why it's in there? That's what happened. Whoa. Wow. Look, come on, somebody say this story is true. If, I, now, if I'm going to write a story, it's going to be, I mean, it would be like the heavens opened. An angel came and gave, gave Pilate a wedgie or something. You know what I mean? The angel came and scared Pilate completely out of his mind. Visited his wife and then went on to go to Caesar. If I'm going to tell a story, it'd be like that. Come on, it'd have some dramatic effects in it. And of course, it has tons of dramatic effects, but it has all of these truth that's in there. I'd have, the, I'd have Jesus appear to the high priest, have them all resign. What happened to Jesus' body, Pastor? What happened? If this is true, what happened to Jesus' body? Now, there's, there's three classic arguments of what happened to Jesus' body. Here's the first one. This is called the wrong tomb theory. In other words, Jesus didn't... This is what... This is what people actually argue this mess. That Jesus didn't raise from the dead. He's still in the tomb, but they got the wrong tomb. So when they went to go Jesus to get Jesus, the, the tomb was empty, of course, because they got the wrong tomb. Now, let's just analyze that for a second. First of all, the tomb was given to the Lord from Joseph of Arimathea. It was walking distance from where he got crucified, and everybody knew where the tomb was, and it was guarded. I mean, the, the wrong tomb. So that the, the Romans took the body, or the Jews took the bodies. People will, look, people will die. People will die for a lie, but not if they're aware of it. So they say that they just, they, did, they just made it all up. So the disciples, they just made this whole thing up. People die for a lie, but not if they know it's a lie. They don't, they don't die for a lie if they know it is one. All of the disciples, they all lived their lives and persecuted Peter, hung upside down on a cross. John was boiled in oil. Boiling oil? That'd be the end of, you know, come on. If you weren't sure Jesus rose from the dead and you were living, you were living for God, when they, when they went to the oil treatment, I'd be like, you know what? I'm, you know, I'm good. We were just kidding. The swoon theory. The chief ev- evidence is cited in the support of this theory is the fact that the Gospels admit that Jesus was on the cross for only a relatively short period of time. The argument attributes incompetence or even stupidity to quite a few people. First of all, Romans were the best at killing people ever. Like in the history of killing people, Romans were very good. So you'd have to basically dismiss their expertise entirely on killing Jesus. That they failed to make sure that Jesus died. The Jews and the Romans actually got together in the deception. And, and the disciples were stupid enough to believe that Jesus had, had raised himself. The swoon theory. That, that actually wasn't dead, so when they put him in a tomb, he actually got up because he wasn't dead. 
I've heard some other stupid stuff where there's this period of time that's missing or not recorded, I should say, in Scripture, and that Jesus went off and hung out with some swami in India, learned to slow his heart rate down so that he actually, so that through yoga, he was actually, they thought he was dead, and then they put him in a tomb and he woke up, but he actually hadn't died. You've got to have more faith to believe some of this mess than, my God. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the only way to explain Peter, who was cursing, who got up and preached until thousands of people got saved. The resurrection of the dead is the only way to explain the martyrs, to explain Paul, who gets stoned and then gets up and preaches again. You don't get up and preach again if you're getting killed all the time for what you're preaching unless you really knew that it was the truth. It's the only way to explain Thomas, the doubter, who goes all the way to southern India to spread the gospel. It's the only way to explain Peter, Paul, James, John. It's the only way to explain my life. I can tell you that plain and, plain and simple truth. It's the only way you can explain somebody who was lost as a goose in a hailstorm, broken and shattered, and then in the next moment when they prayed a simple prayer of faith, receiving Jesus into their life, repenting of their sin, asking God to forgive them, that in that one moment, that all of a sudden their countenance changes, there's, got, there's, there's somebody at home, there's light in their eyes, and a transformation begins in their life. Jesus rose from the dead. Come on, somebody, say hallelujah. And so Paul receives really this commissioning to be a, a revolutionary. If you look at the text, when he, verse 16, who he sees himself to be, a servant, number one, verse 16, Jesus says, But rise, stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness. The second thing is a witness. Paul saw himself as a servant and as a witness. Newsflash. You and I are supposed to be servants and witnesses. I appeared to you for this purpose. Do you know that God has, you have a pulse. Listen to me. You have a pulse today. Because God has a purpose for you. And you might have been told that you were an accident made in the back of a 57 Chevy and that you shouldn't have been here. Or your mama didn't want you. Your dad didn't want you. There's a heavenly father who wants you, who doesn't make mistakes, who doesn't make... He doesn't make mistakes and he doesn't make any junk. And, and truth is, you might have been you know, made in the back of a 57 Chevy, but God knows your name. He knows your frame. And he's got a, he's got a purpose for you. He's got a plan for you. And it's not just to, it's not just to suffer and be some tormented believer. It's to rise up in your God-given, God-given blood-bought right and begin to fulfill your purpose. Listen, people, without vision, my people perish. Can I preach in here on Easter? Without, if you don't understand your purpose for why you're alive, then you'll have a life of torment and you'll vacillate back and forth. Paul didn't do that. He wasn't disobedient to the heavenly vision. God's got a purpose for you. What he called him to do, to open eyes. Everybody say to open eyes. In verse 18, I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light. That's, that's number two. To turn people from darkness to light. From the power of Satan. From the power of Satan to God. Listen, Satan has power. 
2 Corinthians 4, 4 says the God of this age has blinded people. Do you want to know why? That there's, that there's not more people in church, not more people following after God? Because there is a God, the God, small g, God of this age, referring to Satan, Lucifer, has blinded people. There is a, a, a power from, from hell that puts scales over people's eyes so they cannot see that Jesus is the truth, that Jesus is the way, that Jesus is the life, that He rose again from the grave. They're blind. One great way to pray for your family is that God would break off the, blinder, the blinders. Man, I was blind for years. My older brother... He was just a Jesus freak. He'd constantly be a permagrant. You know what that is? Hey, hey, praise the Lord. He's always saying praise the Lord and carrying some Bible that had all kinds of underlining in it. I'd wake up early. He would be earlier with his cup of coffee, having his quiet time. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm having quiet time. I thought, yeah, this guy's a freak. I might have thought he got brainwashed. There's something wrong with you. What are you so happy about? It's Jesus. He's real. Jesus. He's good. I'm thinking, okay, you're a freak, bro. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I thought, my goodness, my brother's joined a cult. Then when he moved away with his new wife and went to some faraway land, which was in Hawaii, for the Lord, we all knew he'd lost his mind. But he never quit telling me about Jesus. He never stopped telling me. And when my life got to such a deep, dark hole that there was no way out, I knew I could call on my brother and he'd tell me something good. He did. He told me about the Lord. I had blinders on my eyes, but when he told me about Jesus, when he told me about the fact that I needed forgiveness and that God died in my place so you don't have to, I I knew I deserved death. I don't know. I don't know how good you were. I was far from good. I knew I was a wicked, wicked boy. I had done stuff even up into my young adult ages that I was greatly ashamed of. I needed deliverance. I knew I needed deliverance. I prayed a simple prayer in my kitchen before I lost my house and lived in my car. And I said something like this because my brother used to say, Dude, you need to be saved. You need to be saved. You need to be saved. I thought, What is that? Saved. I would always think about it. I had this trip. Every time I drive my car over a set of railroad tracks, I would say something like, I need to be saved. Like over the railroad tracks. It was, I was praying to God. And when it all went south, I was in my kitchen and I said, You know something? Hey, God, I don't know what the save thing is, but if it's anything like a lifeguard or something, I'm drowning here. I, go ahead and save me then. I didn't pray some simple prayer. I just I prayed that. Shortly thereafter, these scales fall from my eyes. Every telephone pole was a cross. Everywhere I went, I saw crosses on people's necks. Everywhere I looked on doors, I saw crosses. You know what I'm talking about? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? All of a sudden, I was like, oh my gosh, like, dude, he died for me. I mean, it really overwhelmed me. This truth became real. How did that happen from a week before me doing whatever I wanted to and cursing him to all of a sudden I realized that the cross was, was what he took for me so that I could be free? How did it happen? How did that happen? Scale! So many people were praying for me. My mother did more than 40-day fast. She interceded. She prayed. Scales broke from my eyes. The Apostle Paul knew that the resurrection was true. And God called him and appointed him to be a witness, to be a servant 
servant to go to turn people from darkness to light. There is real darkness and there is real light. It is black and white. And Paul was called by God to be an apostle of preaching the good news to the Gentiles. I'm telling you, as you hear my voice today, those of you online, Jesus is risen from the grave and all you need to do to have a new life is receive Him. Do you have to get excited about it? Are you kidding me? Oh, yes. From darkness, from the power of Satan. You know, when I was under the power of Satan, I didn't, I, I didn't realize that it was the power of Satan. When I'd be pressed down in my bed and I'd hear voices, and I'd wake up trying to speak, so terrified, having nightmares every night. Seeing dark figures run around me. Some of you understand very clearly what I'm saying. Seeing dark shadows dash around me. What was that? Oh, that was weird. Your hair standing on end. You're a little freaked out. Oh, you see another? What was that? Those are demons. Newsflash. So you're freaking me out. No, I'm, I'm helping to set you free. This is not some psychological thing that you're happening to use some secular humanism to sort of use logic to justify the fact that you saw some ugly movie that night and then, no, you opened the door for the enemy and you're living for, for the enemy, but you don't even know it really. We've been blinded. Many have been blinded by the God of this age. God wants to set you free on Easter. Turn people from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. That God has power. To turn people to the light. To declare light. Look at three. Declare light. To declare light. That, that, that's a whole message by itself. To declare healing. To declare His love. To declare His goodness. To declare the freedom that comes by receiving Jesus. To declare that you don't have to be tormented. You don't have to be addicted. You don't have to be afflicted. You don't have to be depressed. You can be free. You say, in one moment, one moment, by faith in Jesus, His death and His resurrection. So why is He called? Why is Paul called? Look at verse 18 and it tells us. So that they may receive forgiveness of sins. Mm. And to place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Why was called Paul? It's the same reason you've been, you're still alive. It's the same reason God called you and I. And you might be a plumber, a preacher. You might be an author. You might work on the slope. You might work down south. You might be online in Missouri or in Florida. The same calling is for all of us. It's that God has saved us for the purpose so that other people can be saved. So that people can be forgiven. Writing in the notes. So that people can be forgiven. That heaven can become their home. The church, this building is here for two reasons. The church is in the earth for two reasons. And it's not to be some just religious club. Our purpose is to see every man, every child, every woman, every person that's breathing from the youngest to the oldest, saved, healed, and filled with the Spirit of God so that they could be witnesses and servants to turn people from Satan to God. That is why we are here. We are here not to have some religious club, just to sing a couple songs and just go home feeling like our conscience has been eased a little bit. No, we're here so that we can literally be a harvest. How many of you know what a combine is? You ever seen a combine? The church is supposed to be a combine. 
planting seed, but also harvesting seed. We're, we're all farmers. There was an evangelist in England who receives a note from one of the ushers that was handed to him by somebody who was visiting the church that day. That evangelist had a very, very dark past. He was a gangster. And the note said, if you preach Jesus, I'm going to tell all these people who you really are. He got the note, began to laugh, and decided that he'd just change his whole service and told the people everything that he did. And then in the end, he said, I stand here forgiven, washed in the blood because of what Jesus has done for me. We can fulfill the resurrection commission to be revolutionaries. You can fulfill it. The first thing is you've got to believe in Jesus. You've got to believe in Christ. Some of you need to give your heart to the Lord today. I'm thankful you're here. But your whole life could change in one moment on this Easter Sunday by really receiving Christ. In a real way. We had an evangelist here on Tuesday. Tiff Shuttlesworth. I think we had 40 people in the altar giving their hearts to Jesus or making a recommitment. I loved what he said. So encouraged me. He said, I'm so stinking sick of the sissified altar calls. A sissified altar call. (laughs) This is what a sissified altar call is. We're so glad you've come today, and if you'd like to serve Christ, we're really happy for you. And if you go home and think about that, and if you make a decision to live for Him, won't you let somebody know? Amen. God bless you. He didn't preach any sissified altar call like that. He said something like this, but I I will put it in my own words. Just because you come to church, it doesn't make you a Christian. Oh, he actually did say that. Any more than a monkey putting on a suit makes him a human being. And that there's people, this is my words now, there's people that can have baptismal waters dripping off their face and still split hell wide open. doesn't matter whether you went to church, whether you got baptized. doesn't matter whether you even really read your Bible. doesn't matter whether your mama saved, your papa saved. No, it doesn't, none of that matters. I mean, that's great. It's wonderful. There are no, there are no grandchildren in heaven. You can't be grandfathered in. You have to make a choice. You have to decide. You have to say, yeah, I'm going to take that. I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going I'm to repent of my sin. You have to choose it. And if you don't choose it, then your sins remain. The debt remains upon you. You've got to receive it by what happens if my debt remains. And if you go into death and you die, not having your sins forgiven, you go to a place that was never created for you to go. The Bible calls it hell. Old Testament calls it Sheol. There is a place that you go if your sins are... Because God can't have fellowship with sin. And just because you hope that you've been good enough, you can't be good enough if you could. Jesus never had had to come and die on a cross. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough. You've got to receive Him today. Don't be like the... Don't be like the, the demons who believe... And James. Everybody say we must believe in Christ. And secondly, we must have desire for others to be saved. How 
of you came to church in your, in your life? I don't mean here this morning, but I mean you came to church because somebody invited you. How many aren't going to raise your hand no matter what? All right. Do you know that people come to church because they're invited? How many of you are led to the Lord one-on-one with somebody? I was. It's amazing. if you, Statistics, though not rightly represented here, if you look worldwide, it's, it's like 80%. One-on-one. Somebody talking to somebody saying, man, God really loves you. You need to receive Jesus. He'll wipe all your sin away. Won't you ask Him to forgive you? And be like, yeah. One-on-one. 80%. It's a statistic that I read. We've got a desire for others to be saved. Others to have their sins forgiven. When I was a kid, my... Micah, would you come, please? When I was a kid, I used to go and put my head on my father's chest. And I used to love listening to his heart. I would just sit there and listen to it. And I'd look up and look at my dad, and he'd be looking at me. And I'd listen to it again. I got married and had children of my own. And my son and my daughter, both of them would come, especially early on. He actually did it this morning. They'd put, his, they'd put their heads on my chest and they'd listen to my heartbeat. Danny and I began to do it quite often. I would listen to his. He would listen to mine. And so he's listening to him. I said, what do you hear? He said, wild horses, Dad. I said, absolutely. <laughs> and I'd listen to his. And he said, what do you hear, Dad? I'd say, wild horses, son. He goes, yeah. And we did that back and forth and, and we did it this morning Sometimes he'd mess with me and listen I said, what do you, what do you hear, son? He goes, I don't know It's like a lame horse or something <laughs> It's like I was... If you put your head on the chest of Jesus. You know what you would hear? Your chest would sound like this. Not God's. Uh uh-uh. Wanna know what his you know what his sound like? Sounds like this. None to perish. All to come to repentance that none would perish. That all would come to repentance. That none would perish. That all would come to repentance. That none would perish. That all would come to repentance. The heartbeat of God for you and for I is that the resurrection would not be some far off thing. It would be real. And that you would receive him into your life in a real way, making a real commitment. He doesn't say, come and you have a great life. He doesn't say that. He says you have life and life abundant. Can I tell you what life abundant is? Life abundant is when your wife is in ICU and you've just discovered, you've just discovered that DKA can kill her. And, and you know, they're just doing their best. And you get on your face before God. And you call on your brothers and sisters and the fire of heaven comes down and people begin to visit the hospital and all of a sudden incense begins to rise before the throne of God. You begin to make decrees and declarations of what God, what God promised 
for you and your wife. And the power of heaven hits your house and DKA leaves. And all of a sudden, that which she went into the hospital for doesn't even exist. That's life abundant. It's not promised. It's not promised that you wouldn't have difficulties. You'll have them. But you'll overcome. Jesus said, be of good courage. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Brother Hall, on his knees in the altar right here. He has been battling cancer for nine years. They told him he'd be dead in the first year, but he said no. And he banded with others and he prayed and he's fasted. He still is battling that thing. But the, the, the story that he could write of the volumes and the testimony about leading people to Christ and getting on fire for the Lord like he never has before and going down to Tulsa and the divine appointments, life abundantly, even in the midst of battling cancer, which I curse right now in the name of Jesus. Cancer, leave his body. I'm going to tell you, when, when he gets to, I don't know when the fullness of his, your healing is going to come, Brother Ron. I don't know when it's going to come, people, for you either. But I'm telling you, when you get to heaven, we know for sure it will be there. There's no cancer in heaven, somebody. Say amen. Look at C, last point in verse 20. Live a life worthy of repentance. I am challenged by this message. Jesus said, go and preach and make disciples. Let me ask you, how many disciples have you made? I'll go over to this side of the church. How many disciples have you made? You say, well, I just, you know, I'm, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know. It needs to be a, a goal in your life. You say, well, I, I hardly know the Lord. I, I just, there's people that know the Lord a whole lot less than you. You're in church today. Listen to some crazy bald head preacher preach about the resurrection, about being a, a revolutionary. Who are you discipling? The mistake many times in churches is that we have this, this, this phrase, this theme here in our church. Be a disciple, make a disciple. What does that mean? That means no matter where you are in your discipleship with God, living a life worthy of repentance means you take somebody else and you, you pull them to a, the next level. You teach them. You help them. There are people on bar stools this morning all across Alaska because they tried Jesus. They went to an altar and they prayed a simple prayer, though they meant it. Nobody took that baby in the faith and raised them up and taught them the truth and taught them how to have victory, taught them how to take every thought captive and make it obedient, taught them how to live, how to pray, how to walk, how to be on fire. Live a life worthy of repentance. Amen? Put your hands together for Jesus. Come on, stand up on your feet all across this place. Now let's, let's get real. I'm not going to do a sissified altar call. With every head up and every eye open. If you're not right with God, If you are not right with God, God forbid you would die this day. This day would be your last day. Would you go to heaven? Are you living for Him? Nobody moving around, please. Most important moment in the service right now. Are you going to heaven? Are your sins forgiven? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you cleansed by His blood? Are you forgiven? Is your name in His book? your name in his book.
decision for Christ on Easter. Right now, come. And wash away my Come on. Come on. Others are coming with you. But the blood of Just come to the front. We're all going to pray. Come on. What make me anybody here. That is not the point of coming up front. And I'm not trying to make it difficult for you, but Jesus said this. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. So really what we're doing is we're just saying, yep, I believe and I repent. We're coming to the front. That's what we're doing. Now I'm so thankful so many of you are secure in your salvation. That's a great thing. and You should be. But if you would, I want you to stir up the evangelist within you. Come on, church ought to challenge you. If you just go go home with some ear-tickling message, I have failed altogether. I want you to stir up the evangelist within you. Turn to the right, the person on the right and your left. You ask them, if you die today, you go into heaven. Go ahead, ask them. And if they say, uh, uh, I hope so, or, uh, yeah. You know, if they say anything but yes, then say, come on, I'll go with you. And just bring them up front. Come on, right now. Come on. And if they're, come on. Come, come, come. Some of you are coming. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Put your hands together, church. It's a great thing. What can 
Every eye, look at me, please. Right here. Right here, look at me. All right, now whether you're up front here or not, you want to be included in this prayer, then you just pray right out loud, okay? Just say with me. Now in this moment, every sin you've ever done is going to be wiped out. Gone. Thrown in a sea of forgetfulness. God will remember it no more. He's he's wiping your slate clean. That's why it's called good news. All across this place, those online, you want to receive Jesus for the first time or make a recommitment to Him, just pray right out loud. Say, Dear Jesus, thank you for dying in my place. Forgive me of all of my sin. Come into my life and be my Lord. Be my Savior. Wash me, cleanse me, and make me new. Help me to fulfill my purpose in the earth. Give me a hunger for your word. A hunger for fellowship. A desire to go to church. To live holy. To pray. Fill me with your spirit. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen. All across this place, just slip your hands up to heaven because that's where your help comes from. All across this place, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, just come. Lord, seal this work. Fill them now. Break every chain. Break every bondage, every curse. Break it off now. Fill your people. Fill your people, oh God. Fill your people in the name of Jesus. We give you praise. I've got some people that are going to come and just pray with you. What can wash away my sin? What can... People, won't you come? They're going to give you a little Bible study and pray with you, help you grow in the things of God. Congregation, lift your voice and sing on this Easter Sunday morning. Come on. What
take a moment longer as we just help them. Come on. If a newborn baby, you wouldn't just leave them. Come on. You'd feed them. You'd help them. Amen. So that's what we're doing right up front. All across this place, understand and know this, that God has a great plan for you. And then he rose again from the grave so that you could have newness of life. Live your life worthy of what he's done. If you're a businessman, use your business for the glory of God. Be a good husband. Be a good... Learn how to do that. I, I didn't know how to do... Be, be, a, be a good father. I, what did I know? You know, I had, I had parents that passed on some dysfunction, passed on some good things. I had to learn how to do that. Get discipled. Be plugged in. Be a part of a church. And if you're here visiting and you've you got a church back home or, or someplace you're just here with family, well, praise God, but get plugged into a local church. And let your life be used for the glory of God to turn people from darkness to light. Be a servant. Be a witness. Otherwise, all that He has done, we've received in vain. Amen? Won't you take someone by the hand all across this place? Pastor Karen, would you come and just join me on the platform? Come on, let's close this morning. Hope that you could come tonight. We'll have a communion service and baptismal and short word. It'll be a shorter service tonight. Father God, we give you praise and glory and honor for what you've done. For the people that have committed their lives to you for the first time or maybe even have made a recommitment. And Lord, we ask that you would bless each and every one under the sound of my voice. I pray, oh God, cause your face to shine upon them. Lift up your countenance towards them. Be gracious to them. Keep them and give them peace in Jesus' holy, matchless name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. My wife and I will be out front. We'd love to meet you if you're here for the first time. God bless you. Praise the Lord. See you.